Well, good morning to everyone. If you would open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Mark the second chapter. Before we begin, let's seek our Lord's blessing. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy and reverend is your matchless name. Father, we've gathered here together this morning to worship and to praise your name. Father, I pray that you would enable us by your spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth, that you would deliver us from just going through the motions of religion. And Father, enable us to hear word from thee. Enable us to worship from the heart. Father, I pray as we open your word that you would be our teacher, that you would be the one to speak to each heart here this morning. And Father, give us faith to believe, faith to see our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we pray for ourselves, we pray especially for our children's classes this morning. Father, how we thank you for all these young ones that you've given to us. We pray you'd keep them safe from this wicked generation in which they're forced to grow up. And Father, above all, that you'd have mercy on their souls. I pray that you'd be with them in, in this hour, be with their teachers. While I use this time, we beg of thee to plant the seeds of faith in their heart. Father, for those that are in times of difficulty, going through deep, deep waters, and it seems like there are many at this time, Father, we pray for them. We pray you'd comfort their hearts with your presence. We pray you'd heal them that you lead and guide and deliver as soon as it could be thy will. Now, Father, all these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now our lesson begins this morning, Matthew or Mark, excuse me, Mark 2, verse 1. I've titled the lesson, Faith and Forgiveness. Verse 1 says, And again he entered into Capernaum, and after some days it was noise that he was in the house. Now, you're more than likely, like me, whenever we hear the, the name of the city Capernaum, we tend to think of that unbelieving city, don't we? Look back at, at Matthew chapter 11. I'll show you why we, we tend to think that. You know, the, this city Capernaum was pretty much the, the base of operations for our Lord during his earthly ministry. He preached there often. He performed many miracles there. Yet look what he says about that city, Matthew 11, verse 23. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. So we have pretty good reason to think of Capernaum as an unbelieving city, don't we? But this is so comforting to my heart. Even in the midst of all that unbelief, God still had a people there. All that unbelief did not stop the Lord from saving his people out of that city. It did not stop him from saving his people from their unbelief. Now I love that. I love to think my unbelief, my weak faith will never stop God from saving me. People's weak faith will never stop God from saving them if God set his eternal love upon them. Man's deadness, 
man's disinterest in the gospel, man's disinterest in forgiveness of sin or being made righteous, that'll never stop God from doing what he's purposed to do, from saving his people from their sin. He gives faith where there isn't any faith so that people will believe on his son. And whenever I think about Capernaum, I I have to apply this to us. The Lord himself preached there. The Lord himself. Yet they didn't believe. He performed so many miracles. Maybe it just quit being miraculous to them. I'm not sure why. Something happened that they just did not believe. We have had the gospel of God's grace preached here for generations. I guess nigh on 80 years now that's been in this town. It is my everyday prayer that we do not become gospel hardened. Well, I've heard that before. It's just something I've got every week and just, you know, and take it for granted just because it's been preached here for so long. That's what happened in Capernaum. I pray our Lord never allows us to become lukewarm about this matter of seeking Christ. I want our interest in Christ to be a genuine heart interest and need of him. A need that that never diminishes. You know, at one time, there was a lot of excitement in Capernaum about our Lord being there. Look back in chapter 1, verse 45. But this, he went out, this, this man that the, that the leper that the Lord healed, he began, the Lord told him, now don't tell anybody, but he went and began to publish it much, to blaze it abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. At one time, if the Lord entered into that city, the people would just throng him so much, he couldn't, he literally could not move around. So he didn't go into the city. But now, chapter 2, verse 1, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days. Just a short while ago, everybody was so excited, weren't they? Now apparently that's diminished and the Lord could enter into the city again. And it was noised abroad that the Lord was in the house. Now, that city, so full of unbelief, There were still enough people seeking the Lord. That house where our Lord was, was full of people. The outside, the front yard was so full of people, you couldn't couldn't get to the front door. Even in the midst of all that unbelief, the Lord had a people, didn't he? And he brought them to him. Now I want to give you four things that are true of everyone who's seeking the Lord. People seeking the Lord. Number one is this. Trouble. Brings an object of mercy to the Lord. Look at verse 3. Or let's let's read verse 2 again. Straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as at the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Now in this man's case, it was physical trouble that brought him to the Lord. He was sick of the palsy. He was paralyzed. At least his legs were paralyzed. Maybe he was paralyzed from the neck down. But he could not move around himself. If he could go somewhere, somebody had to carry him. That's one of the most miserable states to live in, I think of. And to be paralyzed. I just can't imagine how awful it would be. You can't do anything for yourself. You can't feed yourself. You can't 
Get yourself a glass of milk. You can't do, I mean, you just can't do anything for yourself. And it would not surprise me to find out is this man day after day after day, year after year after year, lay on that cot. Don't you reckon it crossed his mind? Why me? Why am I the one paralyzed? You know, I wish I wasn't paralyzed. You know that crossed his mind. But you know that disease, that paralysis, turned out to be a blessing in disguise. More than likely, this man never would have sought the Lord if he was in full health. More than likely. If this man had not been paralyzed, he never would have known the joy of being healed by Christ. He never would have known that joy unless he was sick first. Now you already know that this physical disease is a picture of our spiritual disease. Adam's fall in the garden brought horrible sin and death and destruction on the whole human race. Adam's disobedience plunged us all into sin. So that by the time we're born, we're born with Adam's dead sin nature. It's the only nature our father had to pass on to us. But worse than being spiritually paralyzed, we're spiritually dead. We're dead. We don't have any ability to do anything spiritual, just like a dead corpse doesn't have the ability to do anything physical. We can't do anything that's righteous that God requires of us. We don't have the ability to come to Christ for life. We don't have the desire to come to Christ for life because we're spiritually dead. We cannot and we will not come unto him. That's what the Lord said. See, our spiritual disease is spiritual deadness. We can't do anything for ourselves. Now, when I was a boy, I spent a whole lot of time wishing that Adam had never fallen. If Adam hadn't fallen, I would not be in this mess. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I wished that. But do you know as horrible as Adam's sin was? Do you know it was a blessing in disguise? If Adam had never fallen, we'd never know the joy of salvation in Christ. If Adam had never fallen, we'd never know the joy of being given eternal life by Christ. If Adam had never fallen and made us guilty, we'd never know the, the joy, the thrill of being forgiven of our sin because of the blood of Christ. Now I grant you, it's a horrible feeling when God first shows you that you're a sinner. I mean, when God shows you you're in trouble, I mean, that's miserable, isn't it? You're spiritually paralyzed. You're helpless to do anything spiritual. You're, you're helpless to do anything to get God to save you. You're helpless to do anything to save yourself. That's a miserable, miserable feeling. But do you know that's a blessing in disguise? It's a blessing in disguise because this is our nature. You and me will never seek mercy. We'll never seek forgiveness. We'll never seek God's salvation until God first shows us that we're a sinner doesn't have any hope. If God ever makes us so miserable that our only hope is Christ, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. All right, number two. God always uses means of mercy. Look at verse four. And he was born of four, and they could not come nigh unto him for the press. They couldn't even get to the front door. So they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, 
they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now this man was going to be healed, wasn't he? That was God's purpose. But now, Almighty God's going to use means to heal this man. Man, these his friends are going to carry him to the Lord, and when they can't get to him, they're going to put forth some effort in this thing, aren't they? Well, the means of salvation is always the preaching of the gospel of Christ. The means that God uses to give saving faith to his people is the preaching of Christ. And it's the one and only means that God's pleased to use. There's no other way. No other way. It's pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The only way you and I can see Christ by faith is if somebody preaches him to us. We can't believe on a Savior we've never heard of, can we? We can't preach on a Savior that we don't know. Somebody's got to tell us who he is. Now, Almighty God has a purpose, has an eternal purpose. And he's going to accomplish that purpose. Whatever that purpose is, he's going to accomplish it. But he's going to use means to do it. If you and I are going to hear the gospel of Christ, somebody is going to invite us to come here. Somebody's going to say, why don't you come with me? Somebody's going to give you a, a CD or somebody's going to give you a link to sermon audio. Somebody's going to do something so that you can hear. That's what these four men did for their friend. Their friend needed Christ, didn't he? Well, they're the means that the Lord's going to use to bring him. They picked him up and carried him. Carried him to Christ. And you know, we have no idea who these four men are. Humanly speaking, they're probably pretty insignificant. They weren't apostles. They weren't a prophet. They, they probably weren't preachers. But the Lord used them to bring one of his children to his feet. Wayne, I sure would like to be used to the Lord that way, wouldn't you? That's not insignificant at all. We don't know the names of these four brothers, but Don Fortner in his commentary on this epistle or on this uh, gospel, he named them. He said their brother, Faithful Fred, Witnessing Willie, Praying Perry, and Diligent Dan. That's the means, isn't it? That God often uses to bring his people to hear the gospel. A faithful brother, a witnessing brother, a praying brother, a diligent brother. Just won't quit. Many of you remember Brother Eddie Ballard. Jan and I were talking about him this week. Eddie was famous for inviting folks to come to service with him, come hear the gospel. And Eddie wouldn't quit. I mean, just wouldn't quit. And you know, him not quitting brought many people to hear the gospel and believe on Christ. Diligence. See, these men, they'd heard about the Lord Jesus. They knew who the Lord was. Apparently, the Lord had given them faith that the Lord could heal their friend. So they brought their friend to the Savior. And they couldn't get in. Sold out show. Well, we'll come back tomorrow. You know, it just it must not be the Lord's will. I'm just not going to go in and we can't get there today. No, sir. These men climbed up on the roof and tore the roof apart so they could lower their friend down at the feet of the Savior. I mean, nothing was going to stop them from getting their friend to Christ. That's how desperately they needed the Savior. 
That's how desperately they need it. Now, spiritually speaking, it's a miserable experience, but the Lord's got to bring us to the place that we are so desperate that nothing will stop us from getting to Christ. Nothing. And when the Lord brings us to that place, we're so desperate. We've, I've got to have, I've got to have Christ. That's when we'll find Him. That's the Lord's promise. In the day that you seek me with all your heart, when you're so desperate, you seek me with all your heart, the Lord says, you'll find me. You'll find me. When you call out of me in desperation, the Lord said, I'll hear. Now that's this man. I mean, he was paralyzed. He couldn't do one thing to heal himself. He couldn't get himself to Christ. He couldn't do anything to make himself better. Nobody may as well not ever tell this man, you take the first step towards Jesus and he'll do the rest. He's paralyzed. He can't do any. All this fella can do is lay there like speed bone. I mean, that's all he can do. But it appears that he had the same faith that his friends had. More than likely, he asked them to take him to the Savior. He believed that the Lord could heal him. He'd heard something about Christ too. You know, when a, when a leper who's getting ready to die, he's, he's full of leprosy. He has no hope. He, I mean, he is just in the most miserable condition. He's very soon going to die. And the Lord touches him and instantly heals him. And he starts blazing the matter abroad. Who's interested in hearing what he's got to say? Other lepers. Other people who are hopeless. This fellow had an interest. And he heard of the Savior. And he got his friends to bring him to the Savior. Well, here's the third thing. Whenever the Lord gives faith, he also gives the forgiveness of sin. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And knowing human nature, I'm just pretty sure of this. This man is paralyzed. That morning when they had determined to come to Christ, almost everything that was on his mind was healing from paralysis. Don't you reckon? But he got a whole lot more than he bargained for, didn't he? You know, I'm thankful that the Lord is not limited to what I can think of to ask him to do. Aren't you? Look at Ephesians chapter 3. This verse gives me, I like reading it, I like thinking about it. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We pray, we trust in, we look to the God who is able to do exceeding abundantly not just a little bit abundantly, not just a little bit of exceedingly more than what we can even ever ask or think. Isn't that a good reason to pray? Lord, thy will be done. 
Lord, here's, here's the situation. Here's the problem. Lord, thy will be done. He's able to do something a whole lot better than what I can think of. I'm thankful, aren't you? If God was limited to my pea brain, what I could come up with, our gospel would not be glorious at all, would it? All this man could think about, he was just obsessed with it, I'm sure. Having his body healed of this paralysis, and the Lord forgave his sin. See, the Lord dealt with the disease itself. He dealt with the problem itself, not just the symptoms. The symptoms, the symptoms of our sin sickness is our outward sins. It's our weakness, our weak faith, our uncaring about God. We care about anything more than coming to hear, hear Christ preach. And all we see outwardly is the symptoms of our sin, don't we? And man's religion, this is what they always try to do, deal with the symptoms of the disease. They try to get you to quit sinning. Now straighten up and fly right. Don't, don't do that. Don't think like that. Don't be like that. They're dealing with the symptoms of the disease. But the disease that causes all that problem is a sin nature. It's our nature. So the Lord forgave the disease. He forgave the root of the problem. He forgave his sin. Now here's the fourth thing. Only God can forgive sin. Verse 6. There's some in every crowd, aren't there? But there were certain other scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he knew what they were thinking. He said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? Or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now, when Christ forgives sin, he told this man, your sins be forgiven thee. When Christ forgives sins, he doesn't just ignore the sin and say, well, it's okay that you did that. I won't bring it up anymore. That's the only way we can forgive sin with each other, right? We say, well, I'll try to forget about it and won't bring it up anymore. When Christ forgives sin, he puts that sin away. See, sin is a debt to God so Christ pays that sin. He pays for it with his own blood. Sin is a, is a defilement on our soul. Well, Christ shed his blood to wash the soul of his people white as snow. Christ shed his blood to put away the sin of his people. Then there's nothing to be angry about anymore, is there? No, sin's forgiven because sin's not there anymore. There's no reason God wouldn't forgive his people. Because the blood of Christ took their sin away. He took away everything, every reason God would have to be angry with his people. And the only one who can forgive sin like that is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christ is that fountain. He's the fountain open for sin and for uncleanness that, that Zechariah prophesied of. Zechariah said, there's one coming. He's a fountain open for sin. 
That fountain can pay for the sin of his people. That fountain of blood can cleanse the sin of his people away, make them white as snow. He's going to give them a new righteous nature, a nature that doesn't have any sin, a nature that has never sinned, that can never sin. And that's the nature that God will accept. Well, there's a whole lot that goes into this matter of God forgiving sin, isn't there? He forgives sin. But just so the Pharisees and those religious scoffers would know that the Lord Jesus has the power, that he has the right to forgive sin, he told that man, take up your bed and walk. Now we've heard this so many times. God gives a command that we can't obey. He tells us to do something that we can't do. The Lord told that man, take up your bed and walk. He'd never had walked before. He'd been paralyzed from birth. He never has walked. But with a command from the Lord came the power. And he took up his bed and carried it home. I tell you every week, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now come to Christ. Cast your soul on him. Beg him for mercy. Look to Christ. I say that knowing full well that if you don't know Christ, you can't do it. I know, I know full well. Mm, I know. I know because I sat right where you're sitting hearing Brother Henry say, look, and I say, if you tell me where, I will. You tell me come to Christ, but I don't know how. You're telling me believe, but I can't. I mean, I tried. I can't make myself believe. But if Almighty God forgives your sin, you'll believe. If he speaks to your heart, see what the Lord says, I say unto thee. Not if the preacher says unto you, but when God the Holy Spirit says unto you, arise and come to Christ, you will. You will. If you come here week after week and you're like I was, that that rebel boy that still somehow wanted to, wanted, I, you know, I wanted to believe, but I just couldn't. I know it's miserable. And the only thing I can tell you is this. When these doors are open, be here. Be here to hear. If you're seeking Christ, seek him where he's found. Seek him where he's preached. You keep calling and don't quit. Be like that diligent Dan, Brother Fortner talked about. The Lord will hear you eventually. You just keep coming. You just keep crying. I say unto thee, take up your bed. Well, if the Lord says that to you, you will. You will. And you know that had to, that had to get on those Pharisees' last nerve. That that fella took up his bed wall. Don't you know that? Oh, that bothered him. But that's how the Lord dealt with. He didn't. All he did is, is show them his power, his power to physically forgive sin, his, or to physically heal heal diseases. And he left them there. He didn't say anything else to them. That was just a demonstration of his power. And they still didn't believe him. But I'd like to close with this. 
thinking about how it is, not how the Lord dealt with the, with the self-righteous, but how he dealt with his poor hurting child. Now our Lord knew from all eternity who this man was. The Lord chose him. Chose him. He, he made him an object of mercy before anything was created. And the Lord knew this man would be born paralyzed. He knew he would. That was God's purpose for this man. To be born paralyzed so that Christ would be glorified in it. Our Lord knew the exact day, the exact moment, the exact circumstances that he was going to heal this man. See, the outcome was never in doubt. There was never any doubt about this. That not only was this man going to be healed, he was going to be forgiven of his sin. Now our Lord knew that, didn't he? He knew that. But this poor man didn't know anything about that. He didn't know not one thing about it. Until his friends carried him to the Lord, climbed up on the roof and tore the roof apart so they could lower him down at the feet of the Savior. And there he lay at the feet of the Savior, looking up at the Savior. And he didn't know anything at all about God's purpose for him. Until the Lord spoke to him and said, Son, if the Lord didn't say anything else, he just heard the Lord call him Son. This is the only place in Scripture where the Lord ever called a man Son. Son. Isn't that a term of endearment? Son. Come here, Son. Jan and I have our uh, little grandson. He's 10 months old with us this weekend. He's pulling up on stuff and trying to, to stand, you know. He stands on his own. He falls over and, and busts his head, you know. He did that last night. He started crying. And I went over to him and picked him. I said, come here, son. That's just a term of endearment, isn't it? This man had no idea he was the son of God. A child of God. Until the Lord called him. Son, and he said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's how our father speaks to all of his children. <laughs> now that's a blessing. Isn't it? That's the blessing that always comes along when God gives us faith in Christ. All right, I hope the Lord will bless that to you.